Blog Talk Radio. National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover Howard. Hi, Patricia. Good evening, Bernice. How are you this evening? Doing well. Well, everyone, Patricia will monitor the chat room and she will post comments concerning our discussion tonight. I'm happy to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Well, tonight's show will focus on the uniqueness of Louisiana Creole genealogy and Rodney Sam's personal journey into learning about his Louisiana Creole heritage. Rodney Sam is an avid genealogist who has pursued a lifelong passion in studying the history, genealogy, and culture of his Louisiana Creole ancestors. He currently works as a library service specialist at the Clayton Genealogical Library in Houston. And I must say, folks, I love, love, love talking to individuals that work in libraries. They have so much to offer us. So let me give just a warm welcome to Rodney Sam to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Rodney. Welcome. Thank, thanks for inviting me. Uh, doing doing good, good today? <laughs> doing well. And, Rodney, I'm, I'm just ready to let's go at it. So what motivated you to research your Louisiana Creole heritage? Well, it, it kind of started, I guess, uh, you know, I remember my uh, my paternal grandmother real well. She's the one that's that's from Louisiana. She was Creole, and I guess when I was a kid, I I, I was always kind of fascinated about by the fact that you know she spoke English to me. She spoke another language I didn't understand to other people around me and stuff like that. So, so I was always curious about that. Like, where did that come from? Like, you know, and I also noticed that it was what she how she spoke and spoke 
talked was a little different than a lot of the grandmothers that I knew. So, so that's kind of, kind of what got me curious. And I really didn't like become like really curious to explore her roots until I would say just years after her death, maybe when I was in college. And that's when I developed a, a deep interest in geology. So I began really just kind of asking questions about relatives that knew her and just looking through her photo album and, you know, a lot of different, different things that she left behind so I can kind of piece, piece together the family story. So that's how I started. And when I really started digging about, learning about her parents and past, that's when I became fascinated about this, this wonderful world of, you know, Creoles in Louisiana. It's like a, so that, that's kind of how it got me started. It was just fascinating world I wanted to learn more about and about my past. So that's basically it, you know, how I started. Yes. So when you speak of uh, Creole in Louisiana, just tell us how are you defining Creole? And and also as you go into the definition of how you're defining Creole, give us some historical context of Creole and Creolization in America or, for that matter, Louisiana. Okay. Um, well, when I use uh, Creole, I use it in the the original, like, historical sense in Louisiana. So, like, for example, during the early colonial period, uh, Creole was a, was a, a descriptor used to uh, describe individuals who were born or natives of, of, of the Louisiana colonies, which included Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. You know, all those areas were, like, part of France, French Louisiana. So, so anyone who was born locally a parents not born there with usually described as a Creole in, in baptismal records and also I've seen it in, in like slave purchases. So if your parents were African and you were born in Louisiana, you were described as a Creole. If your parents are people born in Europe, you were also described as Creole. So during the early era, like maybe the eighteenth century, you had this uh this locational definition. Basically it means someone that was just native to the region. And also, it was also applied to, uh, you know, to animals and plants. So anything that, that was local to the region was called Creole. And it wasn't until, like, I guess when, when, the, when Napoleon sold Louisiana to the Americans, that's when Creole took on this cultural definition to the, for the locals to, and, you know, distinguish themselves from the, the influx of Americans that came into the newly annexed territory of Louisiana. So... So it kind of evolved to a culture term like we are Creoles and everybody else is American. So to Creoles, uh, an American is someone that, you know, spoke English, is from the, you know, American state. So that's kind of how it evolved over time, you know, during the 19th century. And what's interesting about it later on, it, it took on this racial meaning because a lot of the Americans in the colonies, they were confused and flabbergasted by the fact that all these people in Louisiana, who they interpreted as different races, all called themselves Creole. So that's kind of how, how it evolved through time. So, so when I use it, I use it in, in, that, in that cultural sense, and I use it you know, in the historical sense, how it originally meant to the people who spoke the language, the local language, which was Creole and French, and also how how the you know the you know that's how I use it so and you have a a comment coming from New Orleans Wake Up and New Orleans Wake Up is saying that is the accurate use of the term bingo you're right on target 
Okay. So, <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about uh, your lineage and how far mm-hmm. back have you traced your lineage? Because I noticed that you have over sixteen surnames uh, coming out of Louisiana. So tell us about that. Um, well, uh, I would say on, on both my dad's uh, sides of the family, both his parents, I traced uh, some branches uh, well into the 18th century because some of them were, were freed out of slavery, mostly during the Spanish period, and also there were some that were free even during the French period. So so I would say well into the 18th century. The oldest branch of my family that I traced, is to an, an African woman from Senegal. Uh, she was emancipated sometimes in the in the, in the 1770s, and and also to another ancestor who who was freed out of slavery in, in, as early as 1756. So those are like the earliest branches of my family that I'm able to trace. So, well, when you're talking about tracing, I want you to mm-hmm. know right now, the word is out how. How did you trace them? Tell us your entire process. Especially tell us about the, the your Senegalese uh uh ancestor. Okay. Um well the process of me tracing is basically it's been this years of me just researching on my own, also collaborating with other researchers from Louisiana over time. It's kinda of like there's a whole collective of people. So that's how I did it. And also uh, the great thing about being in Louisiana, being on like a Creole background, is that uh, the I'm sorry, the religion of Catholicism, and with the religion of Catholicism, it was important for like priests to record information about members of their church into like the records. So you had to include the births of children, the list of name of their parents, and and sometimes where they were born. So with, with just using Catholic records alone, you can literally use. Catholic records to trace a family six or seven generations easily in time. And, and also because uh, slaves are also baptized and sometimes they're married in the Catholic church, you, 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 can, uh, get, you can get more detailed information about them than you would in, in other places, you know, like, like, like in Virginia or, you know, North Carolina. So, like, for example, if you look at uh, some Catholic records, they'll list the ethnicity of, of some of the Africans that, that, that were married and baptized. And that's that's very unique. So so that's kind of part part of it, because of the the detailed records of the French and Spanish show. But when you uh, mentioned the Catholic records, did you actually go to one of the archdioceses? But I mean, I want you to get really specific. Okay. Where did you get those records? Well, uh, some of them I, I did I did it mostly like by, by mail. So. The area, the area that I mostly got researched were from the Diocese of Lafayette. And mm-hmm. they have records of many of the Catholic churches within the same region. So I just contacted, you know, so once I, like, oh, I forgot to mention, there's also these volumes called the Southwest Louisiana Records. They are abstracts that were uh, that were created by a, a priest named Father Javier. So mm-hmm. he went to a lot of the, the Catholic churches in Southwest Louisiana and abstracted them. And put them in these, you know, like a volume set from maybe 1756 to 1915, I guess. And basically, I just used those books first to kind of gather basic information. And from those, I was able to send for a request of copies of the records. 
from, from you know from the diocese. So sometimes I call the the church in the, in the past directly. So so that's kind of how I started gathering information about some of my ancestors like that. So and, were any of these documents in French or Spanish, or did you actually get English documents? Uh, all of them are either all of them are in French. Well, most of them are in French, and there are some that are in Spanish. And you know, since I don't I speak neither, you know, I've, I've had help from a lot of people that I know that are linguists and you know historians that they understand the records they could translate it for me. So I've had a lot of help and stuff in un- helping me understand what I was looking at. I was just going to say, because you mentioned the Archdiocese in Lafayette, uh, mm-hmm. you were not actually doing research in New Orleans. What parishes were you uh, actually doing your research? Well, uh, I, I, I've actually uh, have, I've actually have um, re- information from New Orleans, but, but most, most of my research is centered around uh, St. Landry Parish, and Evangeline mm-hmm. Parish and Lafayette Parish and St. Martin Parish, you know, those regions mostly, and a little bit from, from, from New Orleans. So those are areas I've, I've pretty much been concentrated on since that's where the majority of my ancestors came from. And okay, also, so now, I'm sorry. Oh, and I've also used uh, of like parish courthouse records too. Um, they have really good, like, uh, colonial era records in some of these courthouses and also the uh, the Cuban Papers, which is a – I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of – it's a collection of records that were created during the Spanish colonial period of Louisiana. So so those are good sources I've used. So I've used, like, a lot of different records over the years. So, yeah. And have you – what what I would call challenges. What kind of challenges have you experienced in just trying to find the records to help you identify where your ancestors were and what they were doing? Um, I would say the, the biggest challenge is, is mostly, I guess, it's a, a, a ling- linguistic barrier because a lot of language you're dealing with they're not in English, so that's 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 another challenge, and also because. Some of these records are so old that it's it's hard to read, even the English ones. And and then another challenge is sometimes the records are not organized, and you have to literally go page by page to you know even find references to different people. And and then another thing that I learned too, I had to understand like the the naming patterns of a lot of the people, like former slaves, free people, because uh, the interesting thing about researching the Creole Creoles in Louisiana is that a lot of the surnames that they used wasn't derived from the surnames of the people who enslaved them. Usually, they were normally they they, they adopted the, the first names of their fathers as last names. So that's a pretty unique thing. So and, and also because of that, you'll see these inconsistency in names. Like one person in one record is this name, another person is that name. So 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 you have to you have to realize that. One person can be referred to by three or four different names, so that's that's a challenge, and you have to figure out whether this person is is, is that person. So that is a challenge. And just tell me, how did you figure that out? And did you actually encounter that with some of your own ancestor? Oh yeah, all, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's the origins of, of my very own surname. Like my name, uh, surname Sam, is actually was the first name 
of the man that owned and later freed him out of slavery. And and so his yeah, his, his his name was uh Sam Sam Fugile, that's the name of the slave owner originally. He was a free man okay. of color. So when my ancestor was freed, sometimes he used Louis Sam and then sometimes he used Louis Fugile. So it was always a challenge to figure out which is which. So, yeah, I see that a lot. Like, because you don't know, you know, that's, that's the thing about researching. Once you understand the naming patterns, then you can figure out, you know, who's who. Because uh, usually those naming patterns give clues to the paternity and maternity of some people. It's like, for example, if you see someone named like Valcourt Jacques, the odds are pretty good that the father was, father was named Jacques. You know, so that that kind of thing. And then another record, he may be, you know, Broussard. And then you have to figure out, well, maybe he was owned by a man named Broussard, who, but he had a father named Jacques who was a slave. So those kind of things are like clues over the years that I basically, like, learned, learned what to look out for. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break. Come back, and I want you to then give us some specific examples of ancestors that you have identified and tell us their story. So a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover Howard. And you can join us every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where we will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Now, you have been listening to Rodney Sam. And Rodney Sam has given us a definition of what Creole means, what it is. He's talked about the historical context. And he's also shared with us information about some resources. Now, Rodney, we have questions. Okay. he. he okay. I'm just going to throw some of these questions out. What about endogamy? Uh Another is parents being from the same place, large Catholic families with many slave owners 
and property ownership with women. Okay, Karen, you really have put a lot out here. So let's see where <laughs> Rodney takes this. <laughs> okay, um, I guess I can start with the idea of endogamy. Now, mm-hmm. Louisiana Creole is a very endogamous, and that has a lot to do with, with Roman Catholicism. So if you're a Catholic, you pretty much married other Catholics. And also, also um, because uh, you, you're talking about like small populations in rural communities. So if Catholics marry other Catholics, and the people don't leave, move, move from the area, eventually everyone is going to be related multiple ways. And this is especially true, like when you research maybe like uh, like free people of color, for example, they were like a small percentage of the population, and since the majority of them intermarried with each other, and also factoring religion they became interrelated. And also it, it complicates DNA. If you ever done DNA research yet, it, I, I see like so many DNA matches that I know that they're related to both of my dad's parents in multiple directions. So so it makes it really confusing. And um I'm not for the second question, I'm not sure what he asked specifically about like uh large uh plantation owners in Louisiana. Or large Catholic families with many slave owners. And Karen, um, like, you may want to write a little bit more about that. I'm just asking her to say more. Okay, yeah. Okay, and then she asked about property ownership with women. Is she referring to uh, f- female uh, property owners in, in Louisiana? Or is she talking about. I'm waiting about, for her to uh, respond. <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. 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 I'm waiting for her to respond. So while we're waiting for Karen to give us uh, to explain what she's asking, let's talk about your ancestors and tell us uh, a specific documentation or documentations of your ancestors. What have you found out about them? Okay. Um, I guess I can start with. The one I recently found within the last few years, it's the one I mentioned okay. earlier, the, the one from Africa. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, like, the trail basically started with, with a distant DNA match. So that's how, how it started. So I looked at the DNA match, and I started researching her family, and then I started kind of going through, you know, the old, you know, the original acts of St. Martin. They they have them online on Ancestry. And when I looked look through some of the like the original acts I guess I found her will. Marie's will the African. So she had a will. And the will was in French. And in the will, uh she named my ancestor as one of her children and I didn't know that before. So so she named her son and her, her daughter and she left all her property to them. So that was probably the example of a specific, you know, ancestors I found. So that so she was Elderly up there in age and and also so yeah so that's one that's what I found recently my most I guess my favorite one I guess. So I was able and to Rodney, like, how old was she? Uh well according to the um I located her in the seventeen like seventy seven census of Louisiana like these old Spanish censuses so she's listed as age eighty years old so she was born around you know the sixteen eighties in Africa so she's the oldest ancestor I've ever found. Of African ancestry, so. And was this on your maternal or paternal line? This is my uh, my dad's uh, 
but my paternal grandfather's line. His 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 direct wow. lineage. Yeah. It's like a, wow. she left a, a wonderful trail and she even has a, a marriage record that's listed in the Catholic registers from maybe like seventeen fifty six when she was still a slave, so she married another African while she was still a slave and then later on when she was free she created that will for her children. It's, it kind of it named my ancestor, and that kind of shocked me because I, I, I had no idea that 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 was her mother. So, so that was probably my biggest finding within the last few years. Wow. Now, and I know and it's very question. rare. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. when you found this this document and you saw your ancestor, and you were able to continue bringing it forward, since you weren't going backwards, you're bringing it forward. Uh, tell us what else you found out about your Senegalese ancestor. Well, what's interesting about her is that she was one of maybe. 20 slaves that were, like, owned by this early uh, French rancher named Andre Mafi. You know, he was one of the first, uh, uh, I guess, U- Europeans to settle in southwest Louisiana. So mm-hmm. before, his, before his death, he emancipated all those slaves, and she was part of that, that group. And, and she, had, she had four known children. Um, one of her sons named Andre, he married a Native American woman. And most of their descendants are members of the Chittimaca Nation in Louisiana. So a lot of those Native Americans in Louisiana, they, they trace their ancestry to, to my ancestor. So that's kind of one interesting. A lot of the Homi Indians, a lot of Chittimacas, they, they descend from her through, through her son's mm-hmm. marriage to a Native American woman. And Yeah, so, yeah. That's one of the reasons I've ever found. And then some of her descendants, you know, also, you know, they scattered all over South Louisiana just, became part of the free people of color population as well as the Native American population. So so that's that's the more interesting thing I found. So So let me just clarify, because you said you had a you have a distant DNA match mm-hmm. and you connected this distant DNA match yes. with the ancestor you found in the manumission mm-hmm. papers. Yes. Because uh, the distant match she she was having a brick wall like her great grandfather was actually a Native American from Franklin Louisiana, and mm-hmm. and she matched me and another cousin of mine who also was a Sam descendant through the same lineage. So I knew she had to be from our line, and because of that DNA match, and she had surnames too. And when I and I recognized her her great grandfather's surname Verdun, which is a common name that the Native Americans have in that area. And I knew that some of them were descended from former slaves of the, of the mafia. So I, so I knew there had to be some kind of connection between her and me on the same ranch. So I traced her lineage back a few generations, and I compared it to mine. And then eventually, you know, with help of other researchers that I knew who, who found, you know, who translated for me, I was able to connect it, uh, amazingly enough, to a distant cousin. It's just only because we, we, we had long lineages of, of, of emancipated people, and also because of the Catholic record. So that's how I was able to go back that far. And DNA, it, it was kind of like a clue. It, it helped me, it made me look at some new records and also made me examine records that I already had, for, you know, for clues that I overlooked. Yeah. So that's kind of what was so the process. It's a, it's a very detailed process, so yeah. 
Right. It's it's like Thomas McGinty with his do-over. You almost had to go back and look at what you already had, but this time you're looking at it with different eyes, uh, clearly. Yeah. Now, yeah, there's I had a, a question for you. Okay. They want to know, did you have ancestors that converted from Catholic to Protestant? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um some of my my uh my dad's uh, relatives uh some of them became Baptist or Protestant in the middle of the 20th century and in last year um I found another uh he, he's one of my I guess a great great uncle he was a former slave and he became a minister after the civil war and he converted from Catholicism to to Protestantism and he went to a a Baptist college so so yeah um yeah there are some i have some family members that protestant now and some have been protestant for a few generations so i have a, so you know they have some of that in there so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now have you uh identified any of your creole ancestors uh in the revolutionary war the war 1812 or any of the wars or historical events um through documentation well i have uh some of them, I guess they they wasn't Creole. There was one that he's actually from Quebec, Canada. So he's like my fourth great grandfather. So he immigrated from Quebec to Louisiana in 1811, and he fought in the Revolution. So, I mean 1812. So that's so I do have so that's my 1812 ancestor. I don't and the ones in I guess that were during the Revolutionary period, a lot of them were from other places. So so I'll say they were pretty much European ancestors that. That or people of European ancestry they fought in in these wars in my family. So, so give us another example of some of your findings uh, concerning your Creole ancestors. Um, well, my my grandmother's uh, ma- direct maternal lineage. Um, I was her I was able to trace her ancestors back to uh, a free man of color named Martin Donato. He was a he was also he was a slave owner too. I was kind of shocked to discover uh, ancestors that were of color and also owned slaves. So I was able to discover him. Like he he emancipated his his enslaved grandchildren in his will in 1846, and and I descend from the that that line to my to my my grandmother directly. So so that was that's one that's that's another one I've I've known there for a while. But that's 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 one example I I, I can use. Mhm. And are there others? Since we're really curious to find out how far <laughs> back you've been able to, and not to mention, the, it's just the resources. I mean, finding the documentation, mm-hmm. and you know, with your skills as a as a librarian, you also have mm-hmm. knowledge of sources that maybe mm-hmm. others may not have. So I want okay. to just pick your brain. I want you to share as much as you can. Uh, okay. Also, uh, there's a question: Do you know whether or not if Virginia or Maryland-born slaves were purchased by Southwest Louisiana French Acadian slave owners in large yes, numbers? Yes, there were. Yes, uh, there there were um, there were a group of um, slaves born in places like Baltimore, Maryland, that that were sold down south to like uh, to, to Louisiana. Some wound up been like Grand Coteau and they were slaves of the Jesuit priests there. So so there were like there were a small group of Maryland born slaves and many of them were in Maryland so after the war 
a lot of them just assimilated within the local Creole population through like the Avenue of the Roman Catholic Church. So yes, so you see a few people with names like Eaglin and Briscoe and Mayfield, like they all speak French and everything, you know, but they descend from Maryland-born slaves. So yes. Mhm. Okay, so now you're going to just tell us about resources. We want to hear okay. what you know. <laughs> okay, um, resources besides the Catholic Church, of course, is the parish courthouse, one of the best. <laughs> uh, there you can find, like, wills in Louisiana, they're called secessions. And the great thing about wills and secessions in Louisiana is that uh, husbands and wives, like, they each, they, they had, like, half, half they, they owned the property equally. So the wife had a will, I mean, and, and the husband had a will. And in those secessions and wills, of course, they list all their property and all, you know, all all the slaves and everything like that, and they they give of who who got who. So 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 literally through secessions, you can actually trace one one family slaves from one generation to the next just through just wills and secessions. So that so I will always go to the, to the parish courthouse, you know, just look through wills, uh, look through court records, and you can also find examples of of manumission documents. So so that's so that so that's so the traditional courthouse is still a great source. And I've also used uh, you know, like, like newspapers from 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 the region. Like for example, uh there's a, a website called chronicanamerica.org. You you probably heard of it. And it mm-hmm. digitizes a lot of newspapers from all over the US. And um Louisiana has has quite a few. And I've used some from you know, from Opelousas. To search for relatives, I, I found a lot of my family members mentioned in the newspapers from like the 1860s up to the early 20th century. So, so, so newspapers, you know, just regular parish courthouse records, like you know, like 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 uh, you know, wills and you know, transit land transactions. Those things are very va- valuable. So, because a lot of times these records they mention things like how you related to someone. And so it's, it's so so I use some of those. Any other records? Um, those are mostly the main ones, like newspapers, uh, like Paris Wills and Secessions, uh, you know, just regular land deeds and uh, Catholic records, and also some of the, like, colonial archives. So a lot of them have been, like, digitized online. Like, if you go to, the, I think, in uh, Baton Rouge, they have a website there about Louisiana, and you can, you can view some of the, the, the digitized documents. And I've also used uh, the Cuban papers, and then there's another uh, maximum collection called the Louisiana Colonial Records Source, and they have they have a lot of like records related to the Spanish period of Louisiana. And one unusual source I found is probably the Notre Dame archives. They have a lot of uh, records from the Spanish period. So you you find things like uh, permission, people asking for permission to marry people who are related to them. <laughs> Because you know you had to get permission from the church, you know, by a certain degrees. Yeah, so those a lot of like records that I've used over time. So those are just you know some some of the examples. A lot a lot of it is like traditional, you know, research you would use anywhere. It's just the added bonus of like Catholic records kind of supplement, self supplement that in newspapers. Right, and not to mention just Louisiana law. And oh, yeah, the yeah. fact that mm-hmm. you would find you would find these family meetings. <laughs> 
where oh, they would have yeah. long discussions and disputes, but they had all of these, all of this information documented in these oh, records. Oh, those are the most important. Could, Mm-hmm. Oh yes, you you could definitely see that. Well, what about some of those online uh, resources? For example, uh, Christoph Landry's Louisiana Historic and Cultural Visitors. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, found that uh, online source of use to you? Oh yeah, I actually I know Christoph really well. I've been known him for a while, so um, we we've actually like collaborated a lot over the years. So, oh yeah, um, he's helped me a lot, and I found some some information here very useful. I mean, I've even have a few articles on there. So, so you know, so yeah, I, very useful. You get you get ideas of naming practices, uh, language, tips on how to you know to research in in Louisiana within that that culture. So yes, I found it very valuable. Yes, and um, and so yes. we want, we want to direct people to check out that that website too. It's called mm-hmm. the Louisiana Historic and Cultural Vistas with uh, mm-hmm. Christoph uh, Landry. Uh, what about uh, uh, there's the La Creole? Uh, in fact, they're having their meeting and starting tomorrow in New Orleans. But that's an organization that individuals mm-hmm. can consider joining. And also Creole legend, and uh, those of you that know Jari Honore, he's part of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about some of the uh, local historical and genealogical groups in Louisiana? Have you become a member of any of those groups? Um, I just recently joined the the La Creole one, so I'm I'm not really a member of like any other like Louisiana organizations like so so that's the one I pretty much you know like a real and I just recently became a member of the Imperial I guess the Imperial St. Landry group I guess in Louisiana so I'm not mm-hmm. really a member of a lot of groups mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. yeah well I just want to uh, tell people about La Comité and this is a, a Louisiana mm-hmm. group and Judy Riffle is a wonderful resource person, and they put out a journal, uh, a racketeer, and it's going to be an online journal. I have hard Mm -hmm. copies because I've been a member for a long time, but this is also an organization where you could obtain parish guidelines so if you're looking for your your ancestral roots and you know you're from certain places in Louisiana, I would recommend that you join La Comitee because you will, as a member, have access to these parish guidelines so that you can look and look even deeper into some of the resources that are available in Louisiana. Yeah, I've used I've used those too because uh, we have uh, some of those uh, periodicals at at the library, the library container, and I've used those too. So they're 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 good guides, and they are you you can actually find them. They are online digitized. So yes, yeah, so that's another good good source you can use. Yeah. Right, and then Patricia has put the Family Search Wiki up here, uh, Louisiana mm-hmm. Online Genealogy. Mm-hmm. who also assist individuals that are seeking more information uh, specifically about their Louisiana roots and uh, where they may want to research. Well, do you have any additional information you would like to share with us? 
uh, as far as like like resources or yeah, um, I can mention like if you go on the Family Search website and you search like uh, Louisiana, uh, you'll see a lot of digitized like like records from each from different regions. Like for example, if you search uh, Appaloosa St. Landry, they've digitized uh, an index of St. Landry marriages from like the 1800s all the way up to the 1970s. So. So you can look, you can view that. That's also one good source. So they, and some of them, they also have some of the uh, digitized copies of the actual courthouse marriages. So mm-hmm. you can find a lot of that on Family Search, and and then it grows, you know, constantly. So. And I've also it's another site called uh, another diocese in New Orleans. They've digitized a lot of their um, sacramental records from the 18th century. A lot of them will feature like you know enslaved persons and free person of color. So you can you can find that a lot too on there. So there, Louisiana, they're, you know, they're slowly, you know, bringing more digitized records online over the years because it's a state that has so much bad information, but a lot of it isn't digitized or translated. So they're kind of gradually adding things online for people to, to use. Right, right. Even uh, some of the courthouse records are now, you mm-hmm. can you will have to pay a fee, but some of those mm-hmm. records are also digitized. And you can, yeah, they're on Ancestry.com, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in the in the state of Louisiana, the various parish courthouses, you can get some of those records from them. Uh, so there's a question about Zydeco music. Oh, well, <laughs> <Tell> okay. Us, <laughs> what Zydeco, uh, Zydeco musicians have you discovered through your research that you are related to? Um, there's one. I'm probably related to a lot of them, probably somewhere down the line. But uh, there, uh, there's a musician, uh, Step Rito. Um, we're, uh, I'm related to one of his aunts somehow. Through my grandmother, I'm not 100% sure how, but I know I'm related. I think one of his aunts is kin to my, kin to my grandmother. So, yeah, that's one that I, I do know that that's related somewhere down the line. But a lot of them, if I trace back far enough, I'll find a connection. So it's like you know, like uh, it's like uh, Bojack, all these musicians. If you trace far back enough to South Louisiana, you discover that a lot of people are related to each other distantly, anyway. So, so I, so those ones I really, yeah, it's like you can't avoid it because of the, these small little rural communities and, and people intermarried so long. You're gonna find a connection somewhere, and it's not just like it's like uh, Europeans are related. Everybody's like related. All, all the mixing in Louisiana happened maybe 300 years. It makes everyone kind of like one big family in Louisiana, literally. So, yeah. So I don't. So I'm, that's a few that I do know. I don't know a, a lot, a lot. But I do have a cousin though. Uh, he's actually a radical musician. Uh, jo- Joe Hall and, and uh, Joe Hall and the Cane Cutters. He actually, he's actually, he's related to him on my grandfather's side. His his great grandfather. Mm-hmm. And my uh, great grandfather were were brothers, so yeah. So, so, I, so I'm related, so that's probably my closest cousin. <laughs> that's that's a radical musician. That's, yeah. Right, right. Okay, so do you have any closing remarks before we close out tonight? Um, well, I would like to uh, th- thank you for uh, you know giving me the opportunity to you know come to your show and, and share share my my Louisiana Creole heritage to to the world. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're able to do that because a lot of people they either they don't know anything about it or if they heard of it, 
they they miss they don't understand it. So I was I'm glad I was able to you know get a platform to kind of clear it up, and I'm glad that you was able to you know give me that chance. <laughs> and I hope that everyone found the you know our, our discussion fascinating, and I also hope that it has helped other people who are researchers want to learn more about the ancestors. So that's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, a special thanks to you for coming on tonight and sharing uh, your information with us. And everyone else, please remember your ancestors' left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through our history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfroGenius Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Sewell Smith. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio, and I look forward to you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, with co-host Patricia Glover-Howard. Good night, everyone. Good night, Rodney Sam. Good night. (laughs) 